from WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM, your Valley Free Radio Station. Welcome. I'm Warren Odestulet, and this is A Baha'i Perspective. Baha'i Perspective is a radio program of biographical interviews of people who have chosen the Baha'i faith as a way of life. Today, I'm playing a telephone interview with Parvaneh Edraki. Parvaneh grew up in Iran prior to the Islamic Revolution. She shares with us what was life like growing up as a Baha'i in a country that is very prejudiced against the religion. I started the interview by asking Parvaneh to describe where she grew up. I grew up in Iran until I was 38 years old. I was born on 1938 in Mashhad in Iran. I was born in Baha'i family. How I become firm in my faith was when I went to school in first year and I have been told to my mom and dad, to us, told, told me, told to all their kids that we should love everybody, everybody, if you are one family. So when I went to school, first year school, the children, they didn't want to play with me and they didn't want to share food or anything because they told me your blood is unclean. I was very surprised and then... I came home, I didn't tell to my mom and dad, but I cried in private. So in that time, my faith became very fair. I was five years old that I was in a city, they called it Bujnurt in Iran. And I tell whatever I remember. I was very, very quiet until I was 43 years old, (laughs) indeed. In that time, I was able to see every little things, and it, you know, stored in my mind. And I remember we had, we were, my dad was the director of three factories, and we were very, very wealthy in that time. We had so much money that they, they didn't know how much money we had. We had luxurious, you know, furnitures and everything. This is necessary to story. That's the reason I'm saying. Yes, understood. Yeah, and I, I remember we had a table that was very, very big dining table, huge dining table. And my mom and dad, were, they invited all the Baha'is in Bojnurt. And I was hearing that they are going to do killing Baha'is. In Farsi, they sell Baha'i Koshi. It means killing Baha'is. And I was listening, and I didn't know why they want to kill us. Then all the Baha'is, they came to our home, and we had big, huge yard. I remember very well. And then whole table was full of food. And my mom had a sword, <laughs> You know, my mom and that they had a long sword, and my mom had little gun, little, little one for protection. Of course, she never used it ever. And she went to the kitchen, and she brought every tools that you can Im- imagine that we had, even long, you know, knife or spoon or axe or anything we had, and give it to everybody that was there. And my mom, I grew up in a very, very loving family and trustworthy and good parents. My mom was bravest woman and kindest like angel being. And my dad bravest and he never feared anything in his life. And always trusted in God. And my mom was talking and told everybody that we have to defend from ourselves. 
if they are going to come and kill us and with no any reason except our faith and belief, we have to defend. So we, you should not be afraid. And my mom, I remember, took that, <laughs> that long khanjar um, or sword. And then my mom showed to other people how to do it. How, you know, turn this way and turn that way and you can defend from yourself. And I was thinking about it. You know, is five years old, you know, is kind of in her heart, is kind of fear. Why? What is happening? Then that passed and my mom and dad, they were thinking to go from that town. And all the boys, they said, you are a very famous you know, person in this town, if you go, then they come and kill all of us. So my mom and dad, they decided not to go and stay. Um, my dad, I said, it was director of three factories, so he traveled. He traveled and went, and so it was my mom and me and my, I was five years, my other sister was two years old, and my brother and my two other sisters that my mom decided to send three of her kids to Masha, to another city, and kept two little ones because she was thinking her son and two other kids, they would be safe, and we, that me and my sister that was little, stayed with her. She was protecting their life. So she sent it to her brother's home in Mashhad, and then my dad was traveling, and she was—he was not there. We have a servant that was male. In that time, you know, the car and those kind of things. People they didn't have private cars, so my mom and dad they had riding horses. And then he was cleaning those kind of things and, you know, doing this, doing that. And his name was Askar. And we had made and all that also. But when my dad went, my mom told Askar and other people that you don't come until he comes back. He didn't want, you know, a male person be alone in there. So Askar went. And he knew whatever we had in our home. So I saw that my mom and me and my sister, we were in one room. And my mom at night did not sleep, and she was uh, looking at the window often. We had around our home, we had walls that was tall. After two nights, she decided, no, if they come, she cannot see them. So she put a little bed in the yard and put over it a mosquito net. And my mom was sleeping one side, and me and my sister, we were sleeping in other, you know, the end of the bed. And always we had all our clothing ready on. Even our shoes was on, and my mom too. And her sword and gun was there also. We had little dog that was white dog. We called, uh, we called that dog Shotty. Um, the dog was cutest dog ever, and I call him, I call him boy dog. And in third night, that uh, in night that we were in the yard, uh, we saw that some hit over the wall, you know, then our dog was jumping up the wall, and they were scared of the dog and going down. Then my mom often, every few minutes, was saying, if you dare come, we will, I will kill all of you. And then one night... We had in our yard, it was about 20 stairs going down, and it was running water, was flowing from one house to another house. That was clean, cleanest water. 
and they called it Abambar. It means the saving the water is something and like that. Before all this happened, many times as a kid, we went there and we stood in the water and barely I was putting my head, standing on my tiptoe and water was coming on my mouth, not on my nose. So I knew, I knew that. But my mom was telling me, in that time, they were calling me Nahid. Whole my family, they called me Nahid. And was saying, Nahid, when they come, I will kill all of them. But you take your sister's hand and run and go down the stairs from all the stairs down. And hold your sister's hand as tight as you can. Then you go through that hole that is connected to other house and go to that house. And I said, then what we do? We are going to be alone there. My mom said, no, don't be afraid. Go there. I will kill them and come and get you. And... It's about two, three other nights came, and all these people, they were coming up the wall and throwing the rocks uh, toward us. Our house, you know, yard was full of rocks, and the dogs, I'm sorry, <laughs> the dog was jumping up to get those rocks, then um, people, they were jumping in the street again. In many, many other things happen every night. And one night, my mom, um, that was laying down there, and she was every minute, was saying, if you dare, you come in, If I will kill all of you. And then I saw my mom is quiet, and she is not saying anything, nothing. I shook my mom, and I asked, Mom, Mom, and no, any, I did not hear anything. Then after half an hour, I said, if my mom doesn't say anything, and my sister was asleep most of the time. She was only two years old. I said, if my mom doesn't say anything, probably they will come and jump in the yard. So what should I do? Then with my little voice, I said, if you dare come in, (laughs) you know, with little baby kid voice, I said, if you come in, I will... Kill all of you. I keep telling that every, you know, minute or so. And then I was shaking my mom. It, nothing happened. After almost two hours, all of a sudden, my mom sat on the bed and hugged us, and her tears was running. And I said, Mom, what happened? I didn't know in that time what happened. I will tell you later what happened. <sighs> uh, one day, early morning, and then one, they tried to break the door, the lock of the door, so they can come in from the door. Then it, they were late, and it was sun was coming, so they were afraid. At daytime, they wouldn't do anything. And... We had, our yard was very big. We had volleyballs, you know, net and those poles. And my mom took one of it out and put it to the door. And the other side of it was a little uh, little wall front of the door put in there. So door become even uh, stronger than before. So they could not open it. And that night passed, and one of these nights, early morning, before it gets dark and, you know, it was not dark and not light yet, I saw that my mom put my dad's clothing. My mom was short, about 5'2", so, and then she put some men's clothing on, and she put a, my dad's hat on, and um, she find um, she find something, put it 
in her mouth like smoking, but it was not smoking, you know, just people, they think that he, she is a man. And because she was thinking if no man is in the house, then they might be, you know, not afraid and come in. And then she went out and came back. She walked in the street, came back and locked the door, and she came in. And then when after two hours later at the daytime, about half an hour or so when light was on, my dad came from traveling, and he didn't know any of this. And he came in, and he opened the whole door up, and then Asghar, you know, our servant came in. And my mom still had my dad's clothing on. And I was so happy to see my dad that I said, Dad, Dad, see, my mom had your shoes. And he became man. He went, um, she went to the street. And uh, then Asghar all of a sudden said, Oh, so that was you that you put this clothing on. So in that time, we find out that Asghar, later on we find out that Asghar, our servant, was um, one of those people that gathered some other people, and already he divided whatever furniture we had, who gets what. So later on they would not fight over it. And then my dad, when it came in, he had one of those long guns, and, um, the, that one that they put it on shoulder and has a band, crossed from the door, and he said, anybody, if he dares, door is open, come in anytime you want. <laughs> and Asghar came, and he was afraid, and he was running here and there, take care of the horses and all that. Then later on, I asked mom, I knew, first of all, that stairs that we go down is dark. But my mom in that time was saying, dark is nothing, so don't be afraid of dark. I said, I was not afraid of dark, but I knew that if I go to the water when I was, you know, a little older, I would be drowned. Why you told us to go through the water? She said, it would have been better if you guys to be drawn. First, you had two choices. Two things, it might have happened. You might have been drawn in the water and die. It would have been better if you, these guys get you and hurt you in other ways. And another one was if you go to the neighbor, and the last time I remember still it was Arvin, if you go there, they might hurt you and your sister, but they might also pity, have pity upon you and your sister and don't hurt you anymore. So this was one of the stories that I said it, you know, as brief I can. Yeah, that wasn't uh, too good of a choice that you had there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. My mom always, always was bravest and kindest people all her life. And my dad, even until last minute of his life, even the hajis and mullahs in um, that last city that they lived, it was in Sari. They call it Sari in, uh, in the close to Barfrush or Babol or Shahi, close to there. And my mom and dad, they went in Danish Sara, across from Danish Sara. That was a college thing. And it was not safe place, but my dad never was afraid. But at time of revolution, I was. I came to U.S. on 1976. I was not there, but I heard stories that they wanted uh, people from the uh, the villages around to come and 
kill my mom and dad and hurt them because they were Baha'is. And older people, they said, no, don't do that. You don't know how much Mr. Idraki and it has been helping us. You guys, you don't have any idea. And anybody also in that city, in Sari, if they wanted to borrow money from Hajis, from other people, if they had my dad's signature, they would have given them money. You know, they loaned them money. You know, everybody, everybody in that city, they loved my, my dad and my mom. Even one old, old woman at time of revolution from villages that she was bent from the waist. She came early, early morning. She got there around in the afternoon, and she said, I came here. I can you know, I feel so sad, so I cannot even mm. talk about it. And... Um, she, she said, she was not Baha'i, she said, I came here to find out, are you the same woman, Baha'i woman? My mom said, yes, come in, have some tea and something. She dropped herself on my mom's feet and kissed, kissed my mom's feet, and she said, I just felt my duties that come I'm sorry. Come and tell you how much we appreciate you and how much we love you. Then I don't know what other Baha'is they did, but I know probably they harmed some people. They took, you know, everything they had. In our life, in my family, because of our faith, we, it was time that we had everything, everything that you think, and it was time that they took everything. We didn't have nothing, absolutely nothing. That is the reason that really, really for me, if I go to somebody that has billionaire and has gold from all over the wall, everything, I don't even see it. I don't even feel it. If a poor people's home and very wealthy, for me, is the same thing. Wealth. And luxury for me is nothing because, you know, I had both of it. I feel absolutely comfortable in any situation that I, I am. I am absolutely in peace and happy in my heart. And every single day I think, I say, oh, God, how could I deserve to be a Baha'i? to find out this faith that is for brotherhood and peace and unity. And I traveled many, many different countries myself when I came to U.S. And I, any country I went, I felt they are my family. And I saw such a reaction for, from other people to myself that... All of them, there are other kind of a story that I cannot still believe it, things that happen for me. So I am very grateful of my mom and dad that, you know, they were wonderful parents. Yeah, yeah. I was just... And my dad's name was Aminullah, and my mom's dad was Munawar, that is enlightened. Enlighten. Mm-hmm. So, Parvane, I guess I'm a little confused that you said that your father was very respected. Uh, respected, absolutely. Yes, but at the same time, you said that people wanted to kill them. Because, they, you know, they don't believe that Baha'is, they have any right, you know, since we have been born, my mom and dad, they never always, you know, I learned Quran to write, to read from my mom. And I taught Muslim kids at the school how to read and spell Quran, you know, Arabic. 
my mom and dad, they were not prejudiced. They teach us to love everybody, to accept everybody, all the faith, all the religion. And they told us God is same thing. My mom always was saying is same thing. All the prophets, they are from same God. So we respected all the prophets from Adam, Ibrahim, Buddha, Moses, Jesus, Muhammad, and all that. And now every single day, one of the prayers that I read is that my ancestors in the future, they recognize next one. Because it's very hard. We have to have open heart, not to be closed heart. We have to, when we hear, we have to go and search. Like in Quran, when they said, when, Qa'im, when you hear the name of Qa'im, you have to stand up and you have to, even if it is a snow, you have to crawl on the snow and go search. And when we came here, I did the same thing for my son. I taught all the faith to him. I never told him what to accept until he was 15 years old. And he decided by himself that he wants to be, belong to Baha'i faith. So that is the way my mom and dad, they raised us. They raised us to love everybody, no matter what color, what race, what religion they are. And I always, we had all the holy books. And we respected all the, you know, religion and universal peace and justice, equality between men and women. I never in Iran or any time I felt I am inferior than men ever because, you know, my mom, the, it was very, very open-minded and my dad also. Heart is very important. First of all, people, they become greedy. Whatever they have, they want more. And sometimes they are very prejudiced. Prejudice is very bad. Something that we have in our faith is elimination of all kind of prejudice. So if you have prejudice, if you are not open-minded prejudice, you cannot see the truth. That is very, very important. And... Heart is important. That woman that came from village, walked with bended waist, she had pure heart. She was not educated. Education is not important. Purity of heart is, is important. So she saw the truth. People that they were around my father, they, they knew they, were, they always respected him. But some people, whatever you do, they are prejudiced. And they see what their father said or ancestors said. We have to find out by ourselves, not what our ancestors tell us. That is very important that we remember that. If we want peace in the world, we have to start peace in our family. When we have peace in one family, the next family, then city, then state, then country, then everybody. If we accept each other as one family, what is different? You know, when I was a little kid, when I was seeing people, they lie, they don't like each other. I wanted to be a bird. I never wanted to be a human. Fly away. And now I feel that way. When I see prejudice, when I see people, they killing each other to eat every country. I watch TV, and I, my tears is running. I said, how come that we are as adults, are, people are killing each other. They hate each other. How could hate be in anybody's heart? That is harmful. But I know peace is going to happen. No matter what, is peace is going to happen. But we have to go beyond oneness. You know, just we accept oneness is not enough. We have to go beyond it. Then hopefully we have to turn toward God 
and to see what read read the holy books. You know, I didn't read Bible when I was back home. When I came here, I opened the Bible and I was reading it, especially the end of the Bible. And it's so many clear things in it. I was screaming. I said, oh, my God, look at that. This is this, this is that. So they have to read it. If you read Quran, if you read Bible, if you read Torah, you feel it. You feel it that his author is same. The prophets, they are mediator between human and God. God, whatever they call you know, Allah, God, or Jehovah, whatever is same thing is essence of God is unknowable, but God is one. All the prophets they are coming to make the road ready for next one. Like little kids, tell them to go to your room. Then when they grow up, they understand more. I pray for peace every every day. I wish everybody pray for peace and love each other. So Parvane, I have another question. You said you left Iran in 1976. What were the yes. circumstances that caused you to leave? Well, I came to U.S. because any time I wanted to talk about Baha'i faith, People, they were not understanding, and I was so tired of prejudice, people. But I had good Muslim friends, too. You know, one of my best friends in high school um, was Muslim, Parvon Afshar. I don't know what happened to her. I searched for it. I couldn't find her. But when I came here, I really as a greatest gift that people, they have greatest gift, they give to the kings, to the president. I tell about my faith to people as greatest gift. If they accept it, that's fine. If they want to search for it, that's fine. If they don't want to accept it, that's fine. So I came to U.S., yes. I worked hard, and I raised my son, and now I'm retired, <laughs> getting old lady. I cannot believe it. <laughs> yeah. But here is freedom, but still people, I can see prejudice. No matter which faith they have, they think just themselves they are right, their faith. But they don't accept that all the faith, they are truth. And truth in it. All of them, they are same thing. I don't know why they don't get it. (laughs) I asked Parvane to tell another story about her family in Iran. She chose to tell a story about two brothers during the time of the Bab, who's the forerunner of the Baha'i faith in 1844. The story begins when the two brothers are in Karbala, in Iraq, for the pilgrimage commemorating the martyrdom of Imam Hussein a very holy figure in Shia Islam. Indeed, my great grand, my ancestors, they were two brothers, three brothers. Two of the brothers, they went to Karbala to, um, as pilgrimage. These two brothers, one of them, his name was Haji Hussein, and another one was Zain al and they saw a very handsome young person is in there and praying so differently with any other person in there that they were amazed and they wanted to know who is that person that is praying differently. And then little by little, all the people that they were there, they stepped back. But one of these two brothers, Haji Hussein, told to Hassan Zainal Abedin that I'm going to ask him who he is. He tried to put one step forward and go and ask who he is, but he did not power his foot 
could not move. Even he tried it, he couldn't. So they came back home to Iran. And one night, Haji Hussein saw a dream that this man that was praying is the Qa'im in Iran, they said, or the promised one. And he saw a detail of the dream. In the morning, he got up and he said to his brother, I'm going, I saw this dream, I'm going to go find him. And in that time, traveling was very hard to travel. So he got up and he went by any, by horse, by donkey, I don't know how, by walking. It took him six months to get to a city that they called Shiraz. So he followed his dream. He went to same, he went from the gate in and then he went to same city that he saw in his dream that was Shiraz and same street. Then she, he remembered the name of the alley. So he went to that alley and he went and knocked the door. The servant of the Bob, the Bob is forerunner of the Baha'i faith. Bab, indeed, B-A-B, that it in Arabic means gate. So on 1844, indeed, he declared his mission, uh, declared who he is. Anyhow, that uh, Haji Hussein went in, that servant of the Bab said, Welcome, we were waiting for you. And he went, uh, he went in and he went to the room. And exactly same as his dream, it happened. And the Bob told him, and it was one chair next to himself. He said, we were waiting for you. Welcome. And he sat in that chair immediately. He said, I believe in you and my brother too. Because his brother said, if you see same city that we saw in Karbala, same person that was praying, if it is same person, tell him that I believe in him too. So he said, you know, my brother said that he believes in you too. And another prayer that I pray every night for that Haji Hussein that saw that dream, I had that bounty. You know, my ancestors, they became Bobby. Then at time of Baha'u'llah, he suffered 40 years. That is in Bible. They said 40 years. He 40 years, he was in the prison and exiled from one city to another city. And also Baha'u'llah declared in the back door, you know, his mission, that who he is. So we became Bobbies and Baha'is. So I'm so grateful for that. I asked Parvane to tell us another story about her ancestors. This story is about the same ancestor who asked his brother Haji Hussein to tell the Bab that he believed in him too. In this story, reference is made to Baha'u'llah in prison in the Holy Land. Back in 1863, then Palestine was part of the Ottoman Empire, and Baha'u'llah was incarcerated in the prison city of Akka near Haifa. Also, reference is made of Abdu'l-Baha, who is the son of Baha'u'llah, the prophet founder of the Baha'i faith. Abdu'l-Baha wrote a book called Memorials of the Faithful, which this story that Parvane tells can be found in. One of our ancestors, and he, um, they were three brothers, Haji Hussein, Hassan, and Zainal Abedin. Zainal Abedin went to see Baha'u'llah in Holy Land, and he had two sons with him. You can find it in Memorial of the Faithful, that in the book, Memorial of Faithful, by Abdul Brahim, page 83. And uh, Zain um he traveled with two of his sons, and um, at, in the way to see Baha'u'llah, it was very hard for him in the way he died. So two of his sons, Abul Ibrahim and Abul Qasim, they went with him to the Holy Land. 
And Baha'u'llah said, they are my son, and I will take care of them. So he raised Ibrahim and Abul Qasim. Ibrahim was very tall and wide shoulder and very strong. Most of the time that Baha'u'llah was walking, he was walking behind him. And many times when revelation comes from God to prophets, is very, very strong, the powerful, as like when revelation was coming to Muhammad and the camel couldn't stand up and leaned. Same thing, when revelation was coming to Baha'u'llah, he had long, you know, hair, and then he was shivering because of the power of the revelation. And sometimes for one hour and two hours he was talking and nobody was there to write it down. When Baha'u'llah passed on to Abu Kingdom Ascension, Ibrahim died also, and Abu Ghassim, uh, he could not take it. He went to the grave and he died there. I asked Parvane about our family that is now in Iran. She speaks of her second cousin's husband's imprisonment today in Iran. She then remembers a story about her grandfather and the circumstances that led him to decide to leave Iran and move to Russia. You find out in the story that Parvane's parents are actually cousins with the same father, Parvane's grandfather. Parvane uses a term, Mashrik al this is an Arabic term that means dawning place for the mention of God. Baha'is use this term, Mashrik al to refer to their houses of worship. There is one Baha'i house of worship in each continent. The very first Baha'i Mashrik al was in Russia. Right now, one of my second cousin uh, husbands in Iran that is in prison because of his religion, he has kids and wife, and still he is in prison with seven, seven of the Baha'is that they are in prison. Mom and dad, my dad was six, year, six months old. His father was, they were from Manshot, Yast. My dad's father and my mom's father. They were Baha'is, and they helped Muslims very much so, all their life. And one day, the Muslim, fanatic Muslims, they attacked my dad's father, and they beat him so much that he became unconscious. They thought he's dead, so they threw him in a ditch. And in the morning, he got up, and he became conscious, then he was so surprised and sad, he said, I help these people so much, more than my own family, I help them. Look what they did to me. He was so sad that himself and my, my mom and dad, they were, you know, my dad's father and my mom's father, they were brothers. So... My dad was six months old, and my mom was not born yet. So they took hold their family, and they went across the border. They went to Russia, that one of the city in that time they called Ishqabat. So in Ishqabat, my mom and you know my mom was born there. Then my dad. Then when they went to school, in that time. The children that, <laughs> I'm laughing because anywhere you go, you know, since they were little, they have been persecuted. My dad and my mom and Mr. Furutan and some other kids and my mom's brothers and my dad's sister's brother, when they wanted to go to school, they couldn't go alone. They had to go all of them together. Because the Muslim kids from other side of the sidewalk and Baha'i kids, they were this side of the sidewalk. 
And the Muslim kids, they were trying to, you know, throw rocks and things to the Baha'i kids and hit them. So they were, when they were together, they were able to defend and not to be hurt that much. So until they grew up, they grew up and then uh, many, many, many stories again that how much they suffered there from torturing, from persecution, uh, until they grew up from the Muslims in that city. Then Bolshevik, a Bolshevik change to Bolshevik. It means that the government said, you don't dare to come and believe any God or anything. They become communists, you know, don't believe any God. And first, Mashogol Askar, or house of worship, that in Baha'is, uh, you know, Muslim, they said mosque or church, we say house of worship, that always, they have nine doors and is open to any background, if they are member or not, they can go there and pray, because we believe in all. So, first Mashogol Askar was in Ashgabat, and when the government gathered, all the Baha'is said, come here, I want to talk to you. And all the Baha'is, they went there. And the government, with a strong voice, said, from now on, no religion existed, and you don't dare to believe in God or any prophet or anything. And the majority of people, Baha'is, they were kind of pale and scared what to do. You know, government saying, if you do it, you know, we will torture you. You don't dare to do it. Then my father stood up. As I told you before, he never, ever afraid of anything. And he put all his trust in God. So he had the, our holy book, book of um, Akbas and hold it on his hand. He stood up. He said, we believe in Baha'u'llah. We believe in this book and many other books that he brought. And people, they were shocked that what he's talking about and kind of relief that what they are saying. So, they didn't say anything to my dad, but after that, my dad was working in government office, and anybody that they didn't want to work anymore in there, they would have called it yellow book. Yellow book means that if anybody, they give that little booklet, or little paper that is yellow, nobody in that city or in that country will give them any work. So they give that to my dad. They sent it to his office. But the, his boss, they loved him so much. So for two months, they did not give it to him. And finally, they were afraid of government and they gave that yellow paper to him, and he knew it. And he knew that they told him that they are after him to kill him. So he went to Iran. And the Iranian, no matter Baha'is or Muslims, they were there when the country become, become Bolshevik, they put whoever had money, luxury, they put them in prison. One of my uncle, his name was Mahmoud, he was very, very devout person until last minute of his life. He was in prison. And they sometimes they sent food for him to the prison. Only they put him in there because of the you know money they had, and also they were Baha'is, I think. 
I don't know. I'm not sure because they, I knew that they had three houses, and uh, so he, when they sent him food, they saw that he sent some of his food back. My mom's mother was very smart. He said, "Search." They saw uh, the middle of the bread, you know, the bread that we call it clutch in the uh, Uruski language, and they opened the door that was the middle of the bread. It, 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 he made it like a ball, little ball, and sent it home. They opened it, and he wrote, he, they found a piece of paper that he wrote that they are killing us. Every day they are killing one or two of us. Do something. So my father got that. Then my mom's, one of my mom's brothers went to the telegraph office That in that time to send telegraph. So he went there and he, the boss, of that telegram office was not there, so a young person was there. And he said, I want to send this telegram. And he sent it to Shah's father, Reza Shah, that Iranian, they are here, and they are killing us. If you want your people, ask the government of Russia to send them, to ask them to come back to Iran. This is very, very historic, you know, very important story, and majority of people, they don't know about it. So when the telegram went, then the boss came, and he said, what happened? What did you send? He said, this one. He showed it, and he was very upset. So that was God's willing. When the Shah's father Reza Shah got this telegram from my mom, from my mom's brother, Hidayatullah. He sent a telegram to the Russian government that if you don't want my people, why you are killing them, you send them back. I will accept all of them back here. Then, in that time, they were after my father because he said that we believe in Muhammad. <laughs> so my father, when he was six months old, he went there. When he was 25 years old, he came back to Iran. Sooner than my mom because they were after him. Then they had three houses. They have to leave all of them. And my mom's dad took everybody's gold because they were after gold. If you had two spoons, they get one of it. You have to have one. So they put all the rooms in the door. They put everybody's, uh, you know, every kid, they put their name on the door. So this room is his and this and that. And then they put it in the mic. Mom's father got everybody's gold to hide it somewhere so they later, when they go back home, they can take it. But he was so nervous, he hid it in one of these houses and he could not find it later. They searched everywhere, he could not find it. So after that, my mom and other Iranian, they went back home, but in the way in the highway robbers. They got the furniture, whatever they had, they took. They took everything, especially my dad's, you know, families, uh, sisters, brothers. They took everything. Even the clothing that they had on, they left them with little things. So when they came, they walked, they have to walk, and they got to a village, and the people in that village, they invited them to go to their house. When they went to the house and to that room, to one of the rooms that they invited them, they saw their furniture, everything, the expensive things in there. So they sat about half an hour. They said, no, we have to go. So they came out. They went. They went to Iran. You know, Muslims and Mahais, 
the life was saved because of that telegram. And my uh, one of my mom's brother, he studied hydraulic engineering, but they did not give his paper. And he wrote the letter until he was reti- retired. <laughs> he wrote letter to the government of Russia until finally, after he retired, they sent his <laughs> diploma to him. But my dad's brother, he was going to university in Russia. When he graduated, they were going to celebrate their vacation. My dad was back home. I'm waiting. He had one brother only. And then his room, you know, classmate that graduated, they said, oh, we didn't bring our music. He was playing music, guitar or mandolin or something. He said, I'll go and get it. So he went to get the music instrument. When he came, train was start walking. So he got the handle of the door and to go up, but the handle broke. So he fell and both his feet was cut completely. So he was in hospital, in Russian hospital, and he got very depressed. Uh, and he asked doctor to give him something to die. And they gave it to him. And he died. When my father heard that overnight, when he was 30 years old, his hair, my dad's hair, overnight got white. So always I saw my dad with white hair. I asked Parvane what was it like to be a Baha'i child in school in Iran. No matter what if- city we go, first day, first day, when we go to school, they knew that we are not Muslim and we are Baha'is. And always they say that is written in our forehead <laughs> that we are boys because they knew it. So the teachers sometimes they throw us out of the class, and some children, you know, they said you are unclean, uh, you are you are you don't have books. We have more than any other religion in Baha'i faith. You can find the books. Bahá'u'lláh wrote at least 100 books and more than 1,000 tablets. But they said, you don't have book and you're unclean. So they did not treat, and treat us well. One of my sisters, and we had a teacher that was for teach us the sh- um, uh, books of the Quran, some part of it they call shari- shariat or something. And then my sister was asking something, and teacher was saying that in heaven there are the rivers of honey and milk <laughs> and all the angels, they are there for men and you can enjoy this kind of thing. And my sister was laughing and I said, what else they have? Do they feed you or something like that? <laughs> so my sister, that was older, four years older than me. Teacher, they threw him out, threw her out for one month, <laughs> or maybe more, whole year from that class. And always, you know, anywhere you go, they, you felt that is prejudice toward you. One time my dad went to have her haircut, and the barber did his hair, and he swore at my dad, not front of him. And he said, if next time comes, I will cut his jugular vein. And one of the people that they were there, I told you, everybody loved my dad. But some people are prejudiced, you know, no matter what. So they came and told my dad, don't go there anymore, because they said this kind of thing. So my dad, after... Uh, less than one week, he was going to town. My mom said, where are you going? He said, I'm going to have haircut. My mom said, you just had it. Why you are going? He said, no, I have to go. Then he exp- he went there. He went there and he sat in the chair. And the barber was pale, pale. 
he knew that my dad knows what's happening. So he did not dare. He, he, my, my dad was brave. You know, you don't feel good when you see people, they think that way. Even when you're a kid, you don't feel good. And they were telling so many weird stories, the children, how they learned it. They learned it from the parents. Children, they don't have prejudice. They learn, that they learn from their parents. So we have even, you know, here and everywhere, they learn it from their parents. And in Iran, it was time that my dad couldn't work anywhere because of his faith. Many, 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 many times in America, I defended when somebody said bad things about black people or other people, I defended Immediately, yeah. So, Parvane, thank you so much for sharing. You're very welcome. You're very welcome. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Parvane Edraki, a Persian Baha'i who grew up in Iran facing severe persecution while living there. For a copy of this and other interviews, you can go to the website www.abahaiperspective.com. For information specifically on the Baha'i faith, you can go to the website www.baha'i.org or you can call the toll-free number 1-800-22-UNITE. I hope you join me next time on A Baha'i Perspective. This is WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM, your Valley Free Radio station, streaming at www.valleyfreeradio.org.